We're back in the book of Ephesians, a letter uh, to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding area in chapter two. So I invite you to turn there and we'll study verses 11 to 18 this morning. Last week, we studied how we are reconciled to God in Christ from spiritual death to life by grace, by the wonder-working power of God, God's mercy and kindness and love, and most powerfully, God's grace to reconcile us, to, to put an end to the hostility between those of us who have been called to God, who've heard the gospel, uh, and to, through Christ. And today, Paul is going to explain to the church and to us how we are reconciled to one another. So track with me. It started with two different prayers, a prayer of thanksgiving to God, and then a prayer for the church, and then chapter two, a explanation of how we get right with God, and now an explanation of how we get right with one another. So today's passage will actually follow a very similar pattern to last week. Paul's going to start with saying what your life was like before Christ, BC, the spiritual problem that you had before you knew Christ. Then he'll offer a solution. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? And then the implications of that will continue actually this week and next week because it'll take two weeks to cover all of the meaning of what it means to be a new type of human being in God's new society. Today's passage is entirely relevant for 21st century Americans as we are divided nationally, we're set against one another in so many ways, maybe not right in your neighborhood, but you flip on the TV and all you see are the divides from coast to coast, social media, politicians or talking heads, every fraction in the country and hostility in the country is right there at the forefront. How many flags does our nation have now? I only remember one growing up. It seems like there's every kind of new flag under the sun showing which team you belong to. And every group and every team and every us versus them claiming the moral high ground of victimhood. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, explains how people really, really come together to overcome our differences in a miraculous way, to become one in Christ, and to do the good works that God has prepared for us in advance to do, to be part of God's kingdom work of restoration and renewal. And it's going to begin with this passage. This will be an explanation when we get to it of that first good work. So you probably want to know what does God want us to do? It's right here in our passage today. A little bit of background, the Ephesian church was made up, comprised of two very different types of people coming from entirely different places. In fact, they would consider themselves a different race from one another. You had Jewish people and you had Gentile people. You had those that were uh, born Jewish in their nationality, their bloodline, their heritage. They would see themselves as a completely separate race from those Gentiles, Greek or whatever nation they came from. And there was tremendous hostility between these two groups. The Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, looked down with scorn upon the Jews. So anti-Semitism is not anything new under the sun. There's great hatred and 
mistrust of Jewish people by those in the Gentile world. At the same time, uh, Jewish people didn't do much uh, by way of trying to win favor among the non-Jewish people. They saw them as other, as outsiders. That there were writings at the time of Jewish writers that would say the only reason God created a Gentile was to feed the flames of hell. How are these two groups going to come together and form a church? Well, here, the Apostle Paul, who's in prison, by the way, is writing to them. And the first thing he says after he's talked about, he's had these prayers and he's talked about how we get right with God, he wants to address this residual resentment, this pride and prejudice that's between the saints. He wants to knock down any remaining barriers between them. So let's look at the life before. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. First word, therefore, pause. First word, we got pause, therefore. Because you always have to, when you read scripture, you have to consider what the words mean. If therefore means it's a clause that follows something, right? So you should go back. Therefore, what? What happened before? Paul's saying, as a result of all the spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ, chapter 1, 3 to 23, being brought from death to life by grace, passage we looked at just last week, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, that no one can now boast. There's no worse. There's nothing special about you. What makes you special is that God accepts you and loves you into his kingdom and into this new life. Therefore, remember the past. That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh call the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You have your own copy of, of the text. I encourage you to underline the problem. What's the problem? Separated, alienated, having no hope without God. Paul's not mincing any words, is he? He's, he's addressing the Gentile saints in the church right here who now outnumber the Jewish saints. He's addressing the majority and bringing a word of correction to them first. He says, look, I get it. I get it. You're outsiders. They, they labeled you the uncircumcision as opposed to the circumcision. It refers to the ceremonial uh, ritual of Jewish, uh, Jewish baby boys symbolized of being cut free from sin and bonded to Israel. He says, I get it. I know that they treated you poorly, that there was scorn, Put upon you, remember our series in the book of Acts, the church in Antioch. This is nothing new. Paul knows this pride and prejudice game. It's just that now the shoe's on the other foot. And he's addressing the majority, not the minority. Circumcision was a sign given to Abraham and his descendants to be a blessing and then to be a blessing to the nations. And unfortunately, because of some sort of misplaced pride and prejudice towards non-Jewish people, even though they had prophets who reminded them again and again why they were being called out by God, 
why they were being set aside to be holy. They were being set aside to be holy, to be his people, and then also to go forth into the nation. Somehow they had missed that. They had missed that circumcision was more than skin deep. It was to cut to the heart. There was a spiritual circumcision, a change in one's heart and directive. These are the things that Paul was teaching that were so magnificent. He says, I understand you used to be labeled. I know that that was used as a slur against you. Tossed around the church unfairly. I get that. I get that you were looked down upon. You were outsiders to my fellow Jews. He's reminding them of the hardness of the past. Sometimes we have to address the problem in the room, don't we? You know, just like put it under the carpet or forget about it. Like, no, let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about our differences. In, the, in a modern context, let's talk about race. That's really what they're talking about. Let's talk about it. Now you're in the majority. And I want to talk to you about your newfound freedom and authority. Remember where you once were and how that made you feel. I love this old scholar from Kalamazoo wrote this long ago. He said, they were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. Paul just wants to knock him down a few pegs. See, just before this, Paul has reminded all of them, both Jew and Gentile believers, he reminds them all that they are saved by faith, by grace through faith, and by the power of God's grace in them. That, that no one has any place where they can stand and look down on one another. And here now, he gets to the heart of the issue. How do you think your Jewish brethren feel about you flaunting your newfound freedom? It's really the issue he's getting on. He gets that in other writings of, of Paul. How do you think they feel now that their special ceremonial laws, their kosher food practices, all the things that they were raised to believe and to abide by, now that that's all gone, how do you think that's making them feel? And how are you now Gentile saints, the new majority, exercising your newfound freedom? Was it bringing people together or was it dividing people? When an oppressed group is finally acknowledged and given power, oftentimes that group starts to using its newly acquired power to oppress its former oppressors and toss around the labels of who's the victim and who has the high ground. Am I striking any chords here? We, is this at all relevant to today? Paul is in prison. He's a political prisoner, and his concern here is bringing the church of Jesus Christ together so that they can be on mission. What's the solution? Look at verse 13. That was your past, but now, just like we read last week, verse four, but God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. By the sacrifice of Christ, by the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul announces the seemingly impossible that these two groups that would have nothing to do with, them, with one another not only have been reconciled that they can be sort of friendly, like, well, I guess, I guess we can kind of get along. Like, no, you're now family through Christ. 
your savior, your master. Now he's your friend, your brother in heaven. It's a cross that has brought us together. Friends, the cross of Christ that brought together lifetime enemies can surely be the means of bringing together and reconciling right here in America. And communities where there are gospel-centered, gospel-driven churches, where there's divide by race, race, ethnicity, politics, economic status, or any other distinctions that wrongly separate us, it's the church of Jesus Christ that's meant to be in the city on a hill, salt and light to the world, is meant to be taking the message of God's reconciliation through Christ out into the streets. How? How is Christ the peacemaker? Look at verses 14 to, well, we're going to go to 18 this morning, but it takes two weeks. It's going to take two weeks. Let's look at how is Christ this peacemaker? Verse 14. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostilities by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now let me try to break this down for you. He's saying Christ Jesus not only brings peace, he's not only a peacemaker, he is our peace. He is the answer. Paul writes that Jesus broke down the walls of hostility that separated people. And if you and I were to go back in time to when the temple still stood until AD 70, when it, when it was torn down by the Romans, you would see the temple and its courts and the temple in the center, and then there'd be a series of courts with walls off areas. And furthest away, but still just barely on the outskirts, but really outsiders, was the court of the Gentiles. As far away from the center as possible. Us, I guess them, somewhere. And Paul saying through Christ, every wall was broken down. And the ground was leveled by Christ, broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall. The abolishment of the law of its commandments in Christ. So the high ground has been given way. There's no more us versus them. We're all on the same level ground before Christ. And only Jesus is the one who can bring deeply divided people together to create a new type of community, more than a new type of community, a new type of humanity. One new man. Look at verse 15. Abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances. This means the ceremonial laws of the Hebrew scriptures we call the Old Testament have been accomplished and fulfilled. The purposes by which they were put there in place to guide the Hebrew people, to help them remain holy and separate, to to actually care for them, they've all been fulfilled in Christ. 
the ceremonial laws. So I hear someone making an argument against our faith, and they say, oh, I guess I can't eat shellfish, or I guess you can't wear clothes with mixed-matched fabrics because they're cherry-picking from the Old Testament. Ceremonial. The moral law, the moral code, Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, I will fulfill that. The greater meaning, the calling of following Christ remains. And so now circumcision has gone away. It's been replaced by baptism. And we joyfully baptize boys and girls. Paul's going to spell this out in great detail right when I leave for sabbatical. David's going to take over. He'll cover it, Sarah, Joe, and others. Chapter four and on, Paul plays out all those implications of what it actually practically looks like to follow this new code of Christ. But Paul wants to get through right here, get through their their thick skulls. You are now a new humanity. Drop the labels. Drop the us versus them. You are now new. You are now Christian. Christ followers. Hostility between you is over. Verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. When the Church of America has ceased to preach Christ's peace and hasn't done peacemaking work for God's new society and has given way to the culture to say, well, I guess you're right, we are living in new times and is silenced and muzzled and doesn't speak up because the teachings of Scripture are out of date. It serves only to build brick upon brick added to the walls that divide people in our nation. And so it's no surprise when we give up that ground that those churches' influence is replaced. There is a moral vacuum because the church has lost its place in the marketplace of ideas. It's lost its place of having uh, an ethical standing in the culture. And that vacuum is filled up and it's replaced by shallow ethical maxims and bumper stickers and tweets. Either of the woke Marxist left or the nostalgic nationalistic far right. They're filling it up because they're saying, well, the church isn't doing it. So these two sides will do it. We'll talk about what's really going on. We'll talk about how to fix things in our country or in the world. But where the church of Jesus Christ holds true to her true identity and calling as a new people, where the church of Jesus Christ is not offended by the hard criticisms we receive, is willing to stand on principle and truth, knowing that God's word is unchanging in an ever-changing world, that God's ethic and morality is meant for our good and for human flourishing, and we are unapologetic to that. When we are a church that's united in cause as brothers and sisters in Christ, doing good works that God prepared for us in advance to do, to be part of God's restorative justice, 
But it's actually at that moment that God's kingdom breaks through. That the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. That's what we're calling God's new society. After a year of COVID, after being separated for so many months and so many things to divide us, and so many things on TV or on our smartphones that remind us of how different we are, it's time we heard a message of unity. Friday was a day of, of errands. You know, that's kind of my day off to run some errands around, around town. Cheryl was helping Jonathan uh, with a paper, and, and it was my duty to run the errands. So where did I go? Fred Meyer, uh, Walmart. I've been there for a while. Trader Joe's and Costco. You gotta get pretty much all you need to know of the area by just going by those four stores. You get every kind of kind of uh, personality and background. No mask. Oh, mask. Mask on or off? We, what's what's happening? What I saw in those four stores, the very different types of people that go to those stores, I saw the same people. I saw people that have the same concerns, the same needs, the same desires, the same interests, the same excitement for the summer and for the weekend ahead. And I was moved to pray. So Lord, help me to see what you see in this community. Not, not what we're seeing, not all the noise. It's surrounded by seven-foot-wide TVs, for goodness sake. But what you're actually doing in this community. What are you actually wanting to do in and through this community? I was heading out of Costco. That was my last stop. Heading my car out, and, and I'm not going to try to make something up. I wasn't praying at that moment. Oh, Lord, give me a divine appointment. Like that. Nope. See, that's where pastors get in trouble. They make stuff up. But I had, I had been praying for God's will to be done, and I spotted a couple uh, SUV, uh, a young couple of, of, of a- Asian descent, a husband and very pregnant wife, the back of their uh, SUV open, and he had an enormous TV box. And I was thinking, there's no way he's going to get that in that SUV, certainly not by himself, so he can flip on the TV 24-7, but that's, that's beside the point. I just paused, hey, can I help you out? Can I lend you a hand? And he waved me off. And his wife just smiled. How are we going to come together? Verse 18. Through him, we both, us and them, Jew, Gentile, whatever label, whatever flag you're carrying, lay it all down, set aside, make your allegiance to Christ. And then it says, both have access in one spirit to the Father. The incarnate Son of God, in his life, in his ministry, in his dying, announced good news. He became good news. News of peace. He was that message of peace. Through him, his cross, we have access to God. Not a God of wrath. But we have access to God as reconciler, as healer, as father. And we, together as one, we can know God the Father by what? By the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
by the infinite amount of rich graces there are ours. By living as a Christian family together, by God's grace, we are chosen and sealed in the Spirit, chapter 1, verse 13. Next time we'll see how we are now being made into a dwelling place for God. We're being made into a place where God wants to hang out. There's no more temple of brick and mortar. It's like, no, you are now the dwelling place of God, verse 22, because of God's Holy Spirit. And because of God's Spirit, we can come, chapter 3, 12, boldly and confidently into God's presence. And then chapter 6, 18, I want you to be here for this one. By the Holy Spirit's very presence, we enter in and commune with God. So as we conclude, Rob comes out with his team. Can you join me in prayer for a nation divided, for communities, for towns and cities, for families, even some of us here that need to get right with one another before we celebrate Holy Communion next week? Our kids know this. They learned it in pre-K, how to get along with one another. We could take a lesson from them. So Father, we are your children. We need to learn this lesson again, Lord God, that we might be instruments of your grace. We may be, Lord God, uh, peacemakers. Our feet may be fitted with, with the hope of the gospel to carry forth, Lord, into uh, where we work, where we serve, into the summer, into our vacation spots, fishing, swimming, hiking, wherever we go, opportunities we have, Lord God. I pray this would be just one little corner of your kingdom where that good work continues. Lord God, there's evidence of the way you bring people together. There's evidence here in this place of your goodness and your grace at work. Pray, God, that you would bring healing and wholeness. Pray, God, for the unity, peace, and purity of our church. Lord God, I pray against any division, any divide, but Lord God, I pray that we would be brought together, humbled at the foot of the cross. Lord God, we know that the first to the cross always wins the argument. The first to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. The first to say, I have need of grace today. The first to say, let me pray for you. So God, may we be those kind of people, a new kind of person, a new community, in your new society. Amen.